Welcome back to Web8. I'm your host, Ksenia. And it's interesting how different topics surface within the interviews of the podcast. This is going to be a second interview in the last couple of weeks in which my guest goes in depth to share their awakening story. And I didn't go seeking this topic out, and yet it is so enriching and fulfilling and beautiful. And I know that it's coming up now for a reason, and I hope that it serves you on your own path. It brings you the necessary reminders and the courage to be there for what's coming up for you. My guest is Anna Gannon. She's an international intuitive psychic and intuitive development coach. It hasn't always been that way. Discovering her abilities came in as a big shock. And I actually met Anna before all of these abilities came in when she was my yoga teacher in New York City at Strala Yoga, where I did my yoga teacher training. And she was one of my favorite healers and yoga teachers. And in this episode, we talk about how she went from being a skeptic to connecting to her psychic abilities how all of this just flooded in as she was on a trip to India with my teacher and her teacher, David Harshita Wagner, who has been a guest on episode 96. Anna shares the exact moment on the retreat in India in which she experienced access to these waves of profoundly powerful energy and how she began to integrate it when she came back home to New York. She shares tips on how anybody can start developing your intuitive abilities and apply them to your business and to your creativity. Anna also shares about different ways that we as humans exchange energy and how there's really only one healthy blueprint for doing that. I found that extremely helpful and I've been applying that to all of my relationships. It's so powerful. We also talk about Anna's social media strategy and how she blew up to over 60,000 followers and what strategy she has been using for that. It's not very linear or predictable. It has more to do with energy. And I hope you catch all of the different frequencies that she's sharing behind the words and the stories that she so generously shares in this episode. I'm releasing this episode one day later than I typically publish podcast because we have a new puppy in our family. It's a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Her name is Shaq or Shakti. Full name is Shakti Shaq Diesel. The name is courtesy of Eric Brief, my husband, and it is inspired by his favorite basketball player of all time, Shaquille O'Neal. We plan to actually get a male puppy, but synchronicity took over and this girl chose herself and we chose her. And she was the one who ended up getting the name. So we're getting used to this new puppy life. I didn't imagine just how demanding it is, but also how much heart expansion this journey brings. And I'm so grateful for it. I also want to celebrate with you something really huge. The podcast has reached 500,000 downloads. That's half a million downloads. It feels like such a huge deal. I started this four years ago on a calling supported by different practices I was turning to at the time, which was weekly cacao ceremony, breath work, meditation. And I kept hearing, keep going, start a podcast. And then I kept hearing different messages. I had an Akashic Records reading in the beginning of my podcast, and I was told that it would be a slow growth, but it would be profound. And I just need to trust the journey. 
And so the numbers have never really dictated how I show up or how much I give. This has always been, not always, but recently so, this has been my favorite platform and favorite way to share stories, share space, share teachings, and travel through the different adventures and portals of remembering as we discover our own creativity, how spirit wants to move through us in the world, how business plays a role in that, our personal healing paths, our journeys, plant medicine paths. And it's been such a gift to share this journey with you. I think I might do a separate episode where we go a little more in depth of what I've been learning about podcasting in case you're somebody who is considering starting one. I'm happy to share everything I've learned so far. But this 500,000 feels like a huge milestone and it would not have been possible without each and every one of you listening to the pings, downloading the podcast, listening to them on your walks, on your runs, on your jogs, on your plane rides, on your road trips, sharing it with friends, and truly going out there in the world and living what moves you. That's my biggest message with everything I share on the podcast. I'm so grateful that you are on this journey with me. I am so honored that you so gracefully have been on the journey of transformation that this podcast has been on. The through line is very much the same, but the names, the external expressions have changed and it's been so fun to do it. And it's been so fun to share the behind the scenes of those processes with you. Thank you for being here. And I'm so excited for you to meet Anna Gannon. Enjoy this conversation and make sure that if you feel called to share anything that you hear, you tag us on Instagram at Xenia.brief. And Anna's account is at Anna Gannon here. All of the show notes, everything that we are discussing is always on the website, kseniabrief.com. You can find all of the resources there as well as some other suggested episodes that I think you will enjoy to follow up this one. Have a blessed rest of your day. Enjoy listening to this and let me know how it goes. I have a feeling there'll be some deep waves of remembering that this specific conversation sends into the world and into your heart. Enjoy. Anna Gannon, welcome to Web8. And the story that I want to start with is pretty amazing because rewinding back to spring 2020, you're one of the participants in the Conscious Social Media program that I was holding space for. And during one of the calls, you shared something along the lines of, I'm an intuitive, there's an intuitive message that is coming through now, and I must share it with a group. And I didn't really know yet much about that side of you. And I don't think it was even within the discussion of um, that being part of what you're, you're doing out there in the world at all. I think it was still very much focused on movement and motherhood from what I remember. And then you came out on that call in front of the amazing group. And one of the things that came through for me was an infinity sign. And you gave it to me and you said, I don't know exactly what it means, but it, this is what's coming through. And here you go. And so that infinity sign had been on the shelf for two years until after praying for a very, very long time for clarity on the next podcast name, I received a full download and a full visual for what the new podcast name is. 
And it was specifically web eight with eight on its side as an infinity sign. So how would you, what is your experience of that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny when I think back on that call, because I remember it was at such a moment in my life where I had been receiving intuitive, psychic, whatever, you know, umbrella term we want to put around the information. I had been receiving information for probably around five years then, but I was still very much not telling a lot of people because I was such a skeptic of it. And I remember being on that call with this group that you had really harnessed and cultivated. And it was just such a beautiful group of people that came together with similar mission, you know, wanting to use their social media consciously and do it for the betterment of themselves and the world. And I remember you dropped us into a meditation. And in during that meditation, I received uh, something for each person in the group, which to me was very normal, because it's how information has come to me. It's very quick. Uh, but yeah, I remember that infinity symbol for you and seeing it. And I remember some, I think it was you actually in that group that was like, wow, you received all that information. I just remember thinking, well, yeah, doesn't everyone, you know, it was like mm-hmm. something that was always happening to me. I'm like, don't other people experience life like this. Uh, but I remember seeing that infinity sign. And then I remember a few months after that call, I don't know if you remember this, that I think I texted you because I was out for a walk. And all of a sudden, you just popped up onto my screen, and I saw an iPhone, and it was just blank with an infinity symbol. And I don't know if you remember, I texted you. I do not you and remember I like, that. Oh my god! I was like, I think you have a book or something. I'm like, something's here. I see this, like, I see it was very much on an iPhone, but I felt like it was a bigger picture to the infinity sign. It was more than just a symbol. It was going to be almost like a brand, right? Like on a book, on an app, that kind of thing. So it's so funny, right? That it came onto your podcast um, as a symbol. So yeah, that's what I, I remember that moment so vividly. It was such a beautiful container for me to also feel like I can come out, (laughs) come out of the closet as an intuitive psychic um, to people that I didn't know personally, right? But that I had built little relationships with. So it's such like a healing moment for me. I'll never forget that. Hmm. So you mentioning that you were receiving information consciously for five years, mm-hmm. I guess your channel was starting to potentially get clogged <laughs> because you weren't really trusting it or seeing it as truth or sharing it. So at what point did that change? What provokes you to look further into this and step into the work that you're doing now? Yeah, I'm not sure if you know this, Ksenia, but when my intuitive abilities got blown open or reopened was in India. So I went on, you know, a retreat that you had also went on years before. And it was during that retreat that I had an experience that is now I understand to be Kundalini awakening, right? Where all the energies rise and can open our abilities, whether they're psychic, intuitive, again, whatever term we want to use. And I remember coming back from that trip, you know, even going to that trip, I didn't, I didn't have any intention of coming back with these crazy abilities, right? Like, I really went on that trip for a break. I had been a mother for a year. I had no idea who I was anymore. My identity was very much shattered. Um, Before we go into what happened when you came back, I would love to pause and zoom into 
what happened. What part of a little bit more about oh, yeah. the retreat? Uh, what part of the retreat it was? I'm just personally curious because there's like a beautiful arc. Um, and how, what did you think was going on? And how did you integrate it while you were there? Yeah, sure. I love to tell the story. And it, it's, I'm so grateful to be able to tell the story to you as someone that has went through this trip, because I feel like if you've never been through this trip, you just can't fathom um, what goes on there. So yeah, it was uh, Jan. It was November 2016. Uh, again, I had had my daughter for a year then, so I was postpartum, and I went through a really challenging time after having my daughter. As I like to say, I went through postpartum depression. Um, again, didn't know who I was. Identity was a big thing for me, and I was working from home full time while taking care of her. For an entire year. So two weeks after I gave birth to her, I started working for a new job and was full-time from home taking care of her. And that was when I look back a big mistake, right? Like no one should do that. It's way too much work, especially as a new mom. And come a year later, I just needed a break, honestly. And I had all those thoughts that I feel like many parents battle with and like, you shouldn't need a break from your kid. You should just be able to do this. But I, at that point, was like, I know what I need. And I knew intuitively that I needed something not just for myself, but something where I could go away and come back as a better better mother, right, for my daughter and a better wife. So in November, I remember I'm scrolling through Facebook, and I was friends with David Wagner, the teacher that leads the spiritual retreat in India. And I didn't really know David. I actually knew his wife at the time that I got connected through you, Ksenia. Um, I knew his wife at the time and I'd interviewed her for a podcast. So that was my connection to David. And I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see David post one, one spot left on my retreat to India and leaving in a month. Right. And I was like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, I'm going to go, you know, and it's like the middle of the day, my husband's at work. I'm taking care of my daughter. I'm like, I'm going to do this. My husband comes back that night. I had already like emailed with David already like set stuff up. My husband comes home that night, put the daughter to put our daughter to bed. We sit down on the couch and I'm like, I'm going to go to India in a month. And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I was like, no, I'm serious. Like I'm booking the ticket and I'm going to India. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, two weeks, figure out with your work, how you're going to take care of Annabelle. I need, I need to go. And he was, you know, shocked, but also like, okay, like I guess she's doing this. because I was just like, that's it. So I went through the process of, as I'm sure you know, getting the visa to go to India. Like it's a big process. I don't even know how I did it that quickly. A month later, board a plane, go to India. And one of the most, one of the things that really called me to this trip, believe it or not, was that I didn't have to make any decisions. Like the meals were planned, where I was going to stay was planned. As someone who had just spent a year making many more decisions than she had ever made in her entire life and feeling like the walls were collapsing in, that felt like a luxury to me. I was like, I just want to go and I can just, people or food is just going to land in front of me. I don't need to make any decisions. So I was very much going with that mentality. I wasn't really going for some spiritual awakening. I did want to remember who I was, but I thought that was just going to be from just time outside of my home. So, and as I'm sure you know, it ended up being a very different experience. Um, so this retreat, and I don't like to give away too much because I think it is such a great experience if anyone ever wants to go on it. But a little gist of it is you kind of 
you land in a big city in India, and then slowly throughout the two weeks, you start to go to more rural rural areas of India, and to the point where you're in villages where outsiders really don't go, right? Like one of the things I remember is kind of like just standing on the side of a road and this child just coming up and just staring at me because he had like never seen anyone that looked like me before and just staring. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is so different. And, you know, there's no phones, there's no computers, a lot of silence. And I remember on the retreat getting really frustrated because David kept talking about God. And I grew up Irish Catholic and at that point had kind of, I would say, a battle with God. Like I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't really like that word. I didn't want to be on a retreat where someone's preaching to me about God. And I was battling kind of with David. Like I, there was a silent part in the retreat where I even remember like writing him a note. (laughs) What's up with this God God guy? (laughs) Like, why do you keep talking about God? And he, you know, he was, David's so good at that where he just, you know, listened to me and understood I was going through a process. So here on this retreat, what you do um, is every time you land in a new village, you go to the temple, right? And there's kind of this ritual. You land a new village, you get settled, you go to the temple, you come back, you have satsang. The next morning, you have satsang. So we, about, let's say, 10 days in, I was pretty used to this routine. And we end up at the last stop on the retreat, a place called Alundi, India, which I'm pretty sure in my mind, I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist. I think I might've just made it up. Like that's how (laughs) magical I'm pretty sure this place is. And every time I've asked people, even people from India and I'm like, you know, Alunde? And they're, they're like, no. And I'm like, that's because it doesn't exist. Um, So we were driving into Alundi. It's again, the last stop, the most remote stop. And as we're driving in, I remember David going, which he had said, every time we're driving into a new village, we're all in a van. And he goes, can't you just feel the shift in the energy? Can't you just feel? And at this point on this retreat, I am, I think, like half annoyed and just ready to go home. And in my head, I'm like, no, I can't feel the difference, David. I can't feel the difference, you know? And like energy, it just was not in my vocabulary. And I go with my roommate and we're like talking about, I'm like, do you feel a shift in energy? And she's like, no, but you know, and I'm like, I don't feel a shift. So we, we go again, we start to do the routine. We start, it's like the sun's coming down. We start to go to this temple and long story short of this temple, there was a deity there um, who I think was like 18. He actually has some scriptures, I believe in the Bhagavad Gita Um, but when he was 21, he decided that he wanted to be pretty much entombed, buried alive. So he could just give his energy for the rest of eternity. Right. So he is under this temple, his body, his soul, his energy, again, whatever we want to make of that. So David had told us that story and then we're going to this temple. And as I like to describe temples in India, I look at as like Disneyland, like every night, everyone goes to the temple to like touch the deity, but the lines are like Disneyland, you snake around and there's so many people like it's wild, you know? So as I'm going through this line at this temple to go touch the deity and then go meditate, because again, that's the routine. As I'm walking through the line, I remember, and I can only say this looking back, I started to drop into this really deep meditation state where I was just like, I could feel that I was moving through a line, 
but I knew that I was kind of not there anymore. It's like my physical body is moving through a line, but something's happening. But I'm not thinking anything about the time because it's just happening to me. So then I go, I touch the deity, and then we're kind of shuffled into another room in the temple to meditate. And we sit down side by side. There's people everywhere, everywhere. And we do what we had done many times before. David tells us to sit down and meditate. So I sit down and close my eyes and I'm shoulder to shoulder with the people next to me. And I remember right when I shut my eyes, I felt like I just went into like this dark abyss, like the most, the deepest meditative state I've ever been in at that time. Right. And as I'm sitting there, because kind of time and space disappeared for a moment, I start to feel this spark ignite in my pelvis. And the spark feels like this electricity that builds from my pelvis up my back and over my shoulders. Almost like every five seconds, someone's throwing an electrified blanket over my shoulders. So it feels like, and I'm, so I feel like I'm getting electrocuted from my pelvis to my shoulders. It starts to build up so much momentum and intensity that it starts to come from the bottom of my feet up through my legs, through my pelvis, into the crown of my head. So now my whole body is being electrocuted. And I remember even playing, like the more I would press my feet into the ground, the more the intensity of the electricity would go through my body. And so I'm just in this state getting electrocuted. The crazy thing is, is that as this is happening, I'm physically shaking. So it's not like this is happening inside of me. There's a physical response and I'm shoulder to shoulder with people. So I'm feeling that I'm smacking into them. And as this is occurring, I remember two things that had happened to women on this retreat that are in my mind. One of them that happened in this moment that I remembered was a woman on the retreat was having an experience where she felt like she was going to physically move or scream. And she remembered that there was people around her and she got worried of how they would perceive her. So she opened her eyes and came out of the experience. So as I'm getting electrocuted and I'm hitting people, you know, I think in my head, my mind goes, you look crazy right now. You should open your eyes. Like, this is ridiculous. People are going to think you're weird. You're physically shaking every five seconds. So I remember this and I internally go, F it. I'm going to stay in it. I'm going to keep my eyes closed. I don't care how crazy I look. So I keep getting electrocuted, keeps building. And the intensity builds so much. That at one point, the electricity builds in my head, I feel like my head is going to explode. Like literally, I'm like, my head is going to explode. And in that moment, I remember the second thing. A woman on the tree said at one point that she felt so much pressure in her head that she got scared. She thought my head's going to explode. So she opened her eyes. So I remember this as is all this pressure is building in my head. And I think, yeah, F it let it explode. I literally had that thought, just let it explode. So I keep my eyes closed. And then from there, so much pressure builds in my head. And then a lot of visuals come in. So one of the visuals is that I start to see in my pelvis, this kind of like liquid, it almost looks like black oil starting to spin in my pelvis. And at this point, I had had no visuals, right? Like I wasn't psychic or intuitive. So this is just happening. I'm seeing this black liquid in my pelvis swirling like a whirlpool. And I feel it starting to lift up from my pelvis 
to the crown of my head. And on the crown of my head, I see this visual. My dad's an architect. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of those contraptions that make a circle where there's like one point in the center and then the other one spins around, right? So on my head, I see that tool. It's starting to make a circle on the crack of my head, on the top of my head. And it's what I can hear in that moment is that it's opening my crown, right? Which I didn't even, chakras weren't even a thing then. Like, it's so crazy to think about that this all happened. But um, to me, they weren't a thing. So this circle is building, this electricity is building. And I feel both of these polarities pretty much come together. And then I see a puff of smoke, almost like I get put into a tornado. I sound, I know this sounds insane, by the way, for anyone that's listening, but it's just experience. I feel myself in this black tornado and pretty much I lose all understanding of anything outside of myself or myself. I'm just in this abyss. And in that moment, I'm still getting electrocuted. I get a tap on my shoulder and I open my eyes and it's David. And David looks at me and I look at David and there's this very nonverbal thing of David knows I just had a crazy experience and I'm looking at David like, what the heck is happening to me right now? And he goes, okay, it's time to go. It's time to move outside of the temple. And again, this was a routine. You meditate in the temple, you move outside of the temple, you hang out for a little bit and then you go. So we go outside the temple. I stand up from this chair, take about five steps outside the temple. And then I hurl, like I just buckle over, like I'm going to throw up. I don't throw up, but I have the sensation of all of a sudden I'm going to throw up. Then my body shoots straight up and I start hysterically laughing. I had lost all control of any, like my body was just doing things. And then I was just silent. And for the rest of the night, everyone kept trying to ask me what happened. Everyone's like, what happened to you in that temple? I have meditation envy. Why are you shaking? And at this point, I'm still getting electrocuted. Like the electricity didn't stop. I'm still getting electrocuted every five seconds. So I'm like, I don't want to talk. I can't even talk. I don't even have words to understand what just happened. So we go to sleep. I'm still getting electrocuted. Wake up the next morning. I'm still getting electrocuted. Sit down for satsang. David's like, Anna, do you want to tell the group what happened? And I'm tell the group what happened. I told them. I'm like, I know this sounds insane. So then David starts to talk about Kundalini awakening, describing that this is what happened to me. I had no idea what that was at the time. And I was kind of in a state of like, I wasn't in the state of like, wow, this really cool thing happened to me. I was more in a state of like, why am I still getting electrocuted? And when is this going to stop? Because this, I'm, I'm physically shaking every five seconds. It's very uncomfortable. We go to eat soup, like in India for breakfast. That's like one of the things they eat is soup. And as I'm trying to eat the soup, the soup is falling off of the spoon because I'm shaking. So at one point I just look at David and I'm like, David, all fun and good, but like, when is this going to stop? <laughs> I get my, like, is this my life? Am I just getting electrocuted for the rest of my life? When is this going to stop? So he is, you know, reassures me that it's going to stop, that it's in me. It's an energy in me. And at that point I was like, no, this came from the ground. I'm like, this came from the ground. This is not in me. This is in the ground. I'm getting electrocuted because of what's in the ground. It's just this place. And they're like, no, it's in you. And I'm like, no, it's in the ground. Like I refused. The next day I'm the first one to leave. So they drop me off at the airport. I get changed in the bathroom and get on the airplane. And as the airplane wheels are lifting and the airplane is taking off, I'm still getting electrocuted. And I just remember going, oh, like crap, it's in me. Like it's in me. It's not in the ground. I was hoping that when the wheels, you know, that I would stop getting electrocuted, but no, it still happened. So I came home, needless to say, 
a very different person than who left. And it was the most challenging next two years of my life. Because what happened is I came home, still getting electrocuted for at least three months, still that physical sensation. And during that time, I start to be able to hear people's thoughts. I start to be able to see energy that, you know, I wasn't seeing before. Let's put it that way. Excuse me. (coughs) Take some water. Yeah, I start to be able to see energy. I start to be able to see not only energy, but even people that have passed. I can see and also communicate with them and understand and hear them. Um, I start to be able to feel viscerally people's feelings, right? So all of these strange things are happening and I can't find anyone to talk to about it. Not even David, right? Because I knew for some reason as this went happened to me, I started to understand who could un- who knew about this and who didn't. And I would go to, this is so funny to think about, but I would like, if there was like a Kundalini workshop, I would go to a Kundalini workshop because I was like, oh, well, they're a Kundalini teacher. They must know. And then immediately when I would see them and like talk to them, they would be like, oh, it just sounds like you're really, really open in a really open place. And I'm like, oh my God, you have no idea. You have no <laughs> idea what I'm going through. Like, can I, can I just find someone? So two years after India, I was so fortunate enough to be connected with my mentor. She was an investor in the company I was working for Expectful at the time. And it just so happened that she was someone who, you know, you would think she's just an investor, but she actually had all these abilities as well. And why I was so grateful to connect with her is because she taught me how to harness them. So one of the challenging thing was that they were always open. I couldn't turn them off. I couldn't turn them on. They were just constantly open. So she taught me these practices of how to turn them on and off, how to clear, how to ground, like kind of gave me all the tools that I needed that no one else that I came in contact with understood. So fast forward, you know, after working with her for many years, I started to realize like, oh, everyone has these abilities. Like everyone can see, everyone can hear, everyone can sense, everyone knows But what's happened is we're so cluttered, we're so entangled that we can't hear clearly, we can't see clearly, we can't sense. So that's how it turned into me wanting to support people with that and starting to train people with this kind of ability. So I know this is a crazy story because I don't know if you knew this whole story. (laughs) I did not. I had goosebumps the whole time and you took me right back there into Alandi and that whole trip and... Mm -hmm. Wow. And so interesting what you said about God and being triggered by that. I had the same exact experience that I'm remembering now. I also didn't really have the word God in my vocabulary. It felt so religious. And I considered myself as somebody who is spiritual and not religious, not connected to this worldly dogma. Mm -hmm. And so on every retreat I've ever gone to, there's so much that I allow myself to get triggered by. And then if I just stick to it, it comes to the surface and there's this opportunity to resolve it. And an Indian trip, like you can't turn back, even if you really want to, it's not really the kind of trip where you can just hop on a bus, hop on a plane and go back. And I think it's part of the curriculum is to mm. go further from being able to leave physically so that you can go deeper within. 
but the part of the story that I didn't know is how much of a skeptic you were because you were one of my favorite yoga teachers at Strala Yoga. So like I knew you within the spiritual kind of context. So I'm curious as you started integrating these abilities and learning the language around what it is and how it works and how it's going to be part of your life, what did it take for your mind and old stories around energy and intuition to catch up with that and stop judging yourself and break free from that stigma of, you know, this being the woo-woo world that we don't believe in. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say, you know, like that you mentioned me being the yoga teacher, because I feel like that's, that's something that comes up a lot when I kind of share this experience with people that knew me before the experience, because they're like, but you've always kind of been that way. Like that actually, that does resonate with how I see you. And I'm like, really? Because I feel like there was such a defining moment there, right? But I think that I also just wasn't clear on who I was before. Um, but yeah, so I, I would say I've always been spiritual. When it came to um, spiritual, not religious, and I like that you kind of put the barrier between the two because I very much had. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I was always spiritual, but I didn't, you know, when it came to the word psychic, when it came to energy, when it came to even words like manifesting, I felt like a lot of times there was a lot of trickery there. There was a lot of people trying to manipulate to con artists. Um, I think just what I had seen right through history with all this really made me a skeptic and made me not want to believe in it because I felt like if I believed in it, then I was like this vulnerable person or this, um, what's the word? Very, uh, like someone that could be manipulated, I guess. I was always scared that I would get manipulated. So I kind of like put up a guard there. But yeah, so how I worked through it was one, and I say this all the time, is that I hit a point after India where I could not deny my own experience. What I was experiencing was ridiculous. And at the same time, it was my experience. So I had to get to this point where I started to trust myself more than my own beliefs around what was right, what was wrong, what was true, what was untrue. It was very much this moment of like, I have to stop looking outside for the truth and start really identifying with what is occurring within me and trusting it. Like I had to create a new relationship with myself where I was the first in command, where I was the first stop for asking for it, is it true? Because so often I would go to my husband, who's a huge skeptic in this and was such a big challenge. Um, or my family, the same huge skeptics in this, right? Like they're Catholic, like psychic stuff is considered dark magic, right? So anywhere I looked outside, I felt like, and even in my own beliefs, my own judgments, my own skepticism, every time that I did that, I felt like I was just setting myself up for failure because I was denying my own experience. So I had to hit this point where I started to, as silly as it sounds, trust myself and trust my experience and then start to surround myself with people that trusted my experience. And that was such a gift 
like having people, our mutual friend Deanne, for example, friend Yuki, I'm sure you know Yuki too. These people, they they believed in me. I would say stuff and they would say, I, I trust your intuition. I trust what's happening. Or I would start to, I would hear like random, hearing is my biggest or my strongest psychic ability. I hear things that's it's my most clear. I have them all open, but this, my hearing is my uh, go-to. So I would hear stuff for people. Like I would be talking to my boss at the time and he would just say someone's name and I would be like, oh, weird. And I wouldn't say I just received this message because I didn't have the words, but I would say, has he done yoga recently? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, maybe you should tell him he should do yoga. It was like random things like that. I didn't even know this friend. And then a day later, my boss would come back and be like, it's so weird that you said that. My friend told me that he's been having knee pain and he's been thinking he should get back into yoga. And he started doing yoga like three months later, my boss tells me and his knee healed. So it was like, I would hear stuff like that. And then I had this choice. Like, am I going to sound crazy, but put myself out there? Because for some reason I'm hearing these messages. Am I going to say it knowing that it might right change my relationship with whoever I'm talking to? Or am I going to trust myself and just start doing this and telling people and trusting myself? And gratefully I did. I just started saying the random stuff that was coming to me and little bit by bit, that actually gave me the confidence, the courage to keep going because they were always true. So the feedback from people that like, oh yeah, that did happen. This did happen. Like, oh, okay. So that then, so it started with me trusting myself, but then going out and sharing that with the world and then them coming back and giving me the feedback that it was true. And that's how I've kind of built this space. However, I would say, you know, I'm still a skeptic in a lot of ways. I read way too many books um, on physics, on quantum mechanics. I've been doing this for like four years now. Um, any energy, any psychic book I can get my hands on, anything that can help me to explain my experience scientifically, I am forever a student there and forever trying to figure that out. And I think that that's really needed in this space is the science to back it up because without it, we just we feel ungrounded. We feel like it's not real and we feel like maybe we shouldn't trust ourselves, right? So so in a lot of ways, I would say I'm still a healthy sense of skepticism, a healthy sense of curiosity with it. Hmm. It's interesting how you say we feel that we need that scientific proof. I don't feel that way. I think mm, that is different for everybody based on how you grew up. I've always seen... I've always believed in energies and something bigger. And one of the defining moments for me was when I was 15, going to India with my family, because my dad used to be a diplomat. And so he had mm. still friends in New Delhi. And so we went to New Delhi. We ended up taking a trip to the Himalayas for New Year's. And I had experience in a tiny little monastery in the mountains, totally remote, where nobody had seen people looking like me either. And we walk into this tiny monastery that is probably half the size of my office here. And I felt energy and I, I heard direction, which could have been the first conscious time in my life where there was this assignment saying, you're going to come back to India and you're going to study spiritual things. <laughs> that's wow. the language. That's the extent of the language that I could receive at the time, but that was the message. And I've always believed that there was no part of me that wanted to be like, wait, did I? What? I mean, still, of course, I still have a little bit of the voice of skeptic in there. 
But as somebody who has always turned to psychics and healers to all kinds of things since I was around 15 and my family mm. supported me in it, um, I didn't feel like I needed proof because my life was proof. I would uh -huh. come to a psychic with an issue, let's say my skin or a broken heart, and she would work with a candle and she was an energy healer, I guess, maybe a witch. I don't know what the language is around that. But <laughs> whenever she would start working on me, she would go in my body and inspect the different organs and the energy systems while holding a little beeswax candle, the kinds that you see in a church. And the moment she started working on me, it would start sparking like crazy, just like going off so loud. And so there were things like this, very kind of visceral, uh, visible um, types of proof around me that I don't really feel like I need to keep seeking proof. And it's more about continuing to trust without proof. I feel like that's the biggest mm -hmm. leap that we all can take. Wow. Yeah. I, that's first off, I want to go to that person. That sounds so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. And yeah, I think, you know, I think it's interesting. And I think you brought up a really interesting point right when you started speaking, like, I wonder if it's the difference in upbringing, right? Like I grew up in a space of skepticism, right? So it might even be that like my inner child in a way, it's like still trying to prove, right? Like trying to find the science so that I can go see, like, see it's scientific, it's measurable, right? Because that was something that was important. So it very much could be. I also think for me, it's a curiosity thing too. Like I, I love learning how things work in the body from a more like measured state. So I don't know, you got, you got me thinking now since you said that, like, I feel like I got to like look at that deeper, <laughs> maybe do some inner child work. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> the, you know, the way that I set intention for each of these conversations is that it's not just an interview, but it's an experience that awakens something in everybody involved. And that's you, that's me, and that's everybody who's listening. Mm -hmm. So what I'm called to also ask you is you were mentioning that there was first of all this sense of losing your identity after you became a mom. So that was one of the reasons you said yes to the trip. And I hear this so much from friends around me who are in this position of becoming a mom, especially the first time. And then you also mentioned that when you came back, everybody around you was a skeptic. So what has been the journey of stepping into this work and being public about it as you're navigating how your family takes it? And how did you continuously find the courage like you did at the temple on the day when it all unfolded, where there was kind of a voice in the back that was saying, hey, you look crazy, you're bumping into people. But there was this like deep presence and trust within you that pushed you to stay. So it feels like it's the same type of force that perhaps gave you the courage to continue going. But I'd love to hear about that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I've had that in me for a long time, that force uh, that kind of wants to push up against what other people aren't doing, like do the opposite, go the extra to see. Uh, but yeah, it was you know, it's funny because I went to India because I was trying to find my identity again. And I feel like I came back 
also needing to refine my identity again. Like now that I had these new abilities, I was like, well, wait, who am I now? Right? Like, who am I now with all these abilities? And it was really hard. Like with my family, it was so challenging, uh, specifically with my husband, like a real skeptic. It was very challenging. And only recently in the last two years has that become easier where he's opened the door to understanding. Um, I think with with parenting, with, with my daughter, with my son now, I feel inside of me when I look at my children, when I think about the kind of parent that I want to be and how I want to show up, I want them to be exactly who they are on the inside and not be scared of that and not hold back. You know, Brene Brown says this thing. I don't know if you've ever heard her say this. She has this thing called um, candle blowers. Have you ever heard this? No. So amazing. So she, when she's raising her children, she teaches them about candle blowers. She says there's some people in this world that are candle blowers. And what she means by that is that all of us have a flame. All of us have an inner light. But there's some people that are either um, embarrassed by our light or, you know, don't want to see our light and they'll blow it out. And her children will actually come home and they'll be like, oh, mom, you know, this person is just total candle blower, you know? And like, I remember hearing this and loving this language because as a parent, when you see your kids at a young age, you see exactly who they are. And it's almost like your job to hold on to those early years, hold on to who you know they are so that you cannot give them advice later, but just keep pointing them back to who they are. Keep helping them remember. Because as we get bigger, we get all those beliefs and we don't know then who we are anymore. We kind of lose it at some point. So with me, with coming back, I think that I realized that in myself. I realized all these beliefs. I could it's almost like I got space between my beliefs and who I actually was. And there was enough space for me to go, you know what? I have a choice now. This isn't something that's automatically happening. There's space here where I can make a choice to continue to be who I am and not keep going because this belief is telling me that this is who I should be. So it was this constant effort for through the last, I guess it's been seven years now, to continue to come back, to continue to pick myself, to continue to go back in. Um, and I will say it is not an easy road. Like even when I'm training people in this work and walking them through this process, I'm always very open and honest with them. And I tell them something that my mentor told me that still I feel like every time I hear it, I get new information from the sentence. But she told me in the very beginning when I started doing this work with her, she said, this work does not make life any easier. It will not make your life easier, but it will give you choices. And what she means by that is that when you can create that space, you then have a choice. These choices aren't being made for you, but it doesn't mean that the choices are easy to make. Sometimes these choices are really, really challenging, right? So I think it's been a constant effort. It's been a constant effort to keep coming back to myself and finding it's almost like I'm no longer creating an identity. I think that that was kind of the goal back then, right? Like, who am I now? It's more just, I, I know who I am. I'm here. And it's about continually showing up as that. It's not about putting any, I always say that identity to me 
how I describe it. After I gave birth to my daughter, this is literally what it felt like. I gave birth to her and I felt like I had all these bricks on top of me. Like my whole body was just bricks. And when I gave birth to her, all the bricks shattered to the ground. And I felt so raw, so vulnerable, so seen. Like anyone could see who I was because all these bricks I built around myself were on the floor. And then I had to, after having her through time, look down at these bricks and decide which ones I wanted to put back on, like which ones meant something to me to put back on. And now, seven years later, I feel like I don't want any of the bricks. I no longer feel like I need to hide. I don't think I need to put anything on top of me. It's more I just in this way. I have these abilities as wild as it sounds. They're here. I'm grateful for them. I know they're here for a reason. I know they help to heal. And I don't want to put bricks on me anymore. I just want to keep showing up, you know? Mm-hmm. How did you becoming present to these abilities change your experience of motherhood? How was the second time different from the first time? Oh my goodness. So different. So number one is that I was so much more empowered the second time because there was an inner trust. When I had my daughter, my first child, I kind of gave all my trust over to the people outside of me, the doctors, even my husband, my family, other women that told me about the experiences. It was very much like, okay, I'll just be here and like, just listen to what all these other people tell me with the second Which time people around. people love to do. Oh yes. I mean, <laughs> geez, people love to give advice. It's such a big thing. I always talk about the difference between advice and insight. We can get there later. Um, but yeah, when I had my son, I felt like I was so empowered to do what I wanted. And what's interesting is that you can even see it in the birth. Like with my daughter, I just kind of like showed up at the hospital. I think I was like three centimeters dilated and they should have just sent me back um, home, which they do. And then you come back. But for whatever reason, oh, my daughter's heartbeat, her heart rate had dropped a little bit. So they were like, let's just keep you there. And of course, I'm then totally freaked out because they tell me this. And there was all these moments during that birth that like at one point, like five nurses and my doctor ran into the room, threw me on all fours, threw me. Like no one came in and said, hey, this is what's happening. It was like my body was just this thing that they just felt they could move. They threw me on all fours, put a mask over my head for oxygen. So I'm like looking like an animal on all fours on a bed. They put a mask on me. My husband just kind of backs up to the window because all of a sudden all these people go in. Here my daughter's heart rate had dropped which is a normal thing that can happen during birth, like because you're contracting, you're expanding and there's so much stuff. It could be like an umbilical cord, whatever, but they went in there. But the crazy thing is that as this is happening, no one's telling me. And my doctor is just like talking to another doctor about like what they're going to eat for lunch. So for me, this is like a total traumatic experience. I have no idea what's happening. And, but because the doctors know what's happening, they're, they're totally disregarding my experience. So that's like a real, I feel like sign of how things went that first time. It was very much like I was just there and people were doing stuff to me. And because of that, it was traumatic. (coughs) Because of that, it was traumatic. Uh, So with my son, I had a very different pregnancy, was very like present with him, meditated, 
And when I started to feel contractions, I was just lying in bed. I think it was like 9 p.m. at night, started feeling contractions, told my husband. That whole night, I just sat up meditating, counting the contractions to my breath. The next morning, everyone gets up. I'm just like there, still having contractions. I sit on one of those balls, which by the way, are like the best thing ever. They stop the contraction. I'm like blow drying my hair. I'm like totally (laughs) naked sitting on this ball, blow drying my hair, getting ready to go to the doctor. And I had a doctor's appointment. Um, And I was like, I don't know if the contractions are strong enough. Maybe I'll just go to the doctor's appointment. And then if he thinks, I'll go to the hospital. So I go to the doctor's appointment and I'm just sitting there chilling, you know, because I was just meditating. I'm just like, I'm good. And he checks me and I'm nine centimeters dilated. So 10 centimeters is like you're giving birth. Hmm. And what's funny is a month before that I had asked my doctor, I said, have you ever had anyone give birth in a taxi? Have you ever had anyone like give birth before they made it to hospital? And he's like, no, like in 30 years, that's never happened. So here he's like, oh my gosh, are you trying to be this person? You know? So he like puts me in a taxi and sends me to the hospital. And what's so funny is that we go up the elevator and the elevator's doors open and there's like 50 people standing there. And I don't know why they're standing. I'm thinking they're standing there. I don't know. Maybe it's like a conference. And I just walk out of the elevator and I go and sign in. And then they all look down. They're like, wait, you're the woman that's nine centimeters right now. How are you walking? And here they were all there ready to like rescue this woman that's nine centimeters and like catch her baby. And they're all looking at me like I'm some anomaly, you know, like they're just like, what? How are you doing this? I'm like, well, I'm just meditating. I'm just meditating. And (laughs) that was the experience of the birth. Like it was just, that was it. I was totally in control. There was no, um, you know, no, no outside opinion was going to get in and change my experience. So that really changed it also energetically, intuitively, you know, I felt like I could speak to my son when he was in my stomach. You know, I knew that we were communicating even during the birth, I could feel the difference in the energy. I could, it was almost like I understood the expansion and contraction energetically of what Mm -hmm. was happening, that I was just at one with the experience. It was like an all encompassing, all encompassing, all encompassing, (laughs) you know what I'm trying to say. Thank you. Um, Experience where with my daughter, it was like, I was separate from her. I was separate from everything else. Whereas in that moment with my son, it was like, I just became everything. And that's kind of, I feel like how I experience the world now, like with these abilities, it's like virtual reality. (laughs) You know, it's like, I can just see this person pop up and this energy pop up and have an experience as if I'm in all of it, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. My access into touching what you're speaking of has been through the world of plant medicine. Mm. And that's my experience as well. It feels like a video game. It feels like this web. It's like in a couple of my journeys, I saw the world as these codes. If you look at the design of Web 8, there's these kind of faded codes in the back. And that's how I see the world too. There's like all of these codes and we get to weave And it's in the moments when we forget that we have the power to weave and that we are the creator and that, no, it's not selfish to be at the center of your universe because you are everything expressed through this human body at this time for a limited time. And when we remember all of that and we continuously choose to be the creator, anything is possible to navigate. 
That is so beautifully said. Yes. I, that is definitely how I see it energetically. And I am a lover of plant medicine as well. Um, however, I will say the one, I don't know if it's a downside, but to me, it kind of feels like one I've only, I've done plant medicine probably four times over five, six years and had such beautiful experiences. And the last time that I did it, the medicine rejected me because I think when you hit, when you hit a certain experience where you experience the world as the medicine, it's like the medicine was like, you don't need this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't even let it, it wouldn't even stay in my body. And it's like such because I so loved like those experiences, but it's like this thing, it's kind of this bittersweet thing that I feel that I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I'll be able to do that anymore because I kind of live in that reality now. And the medicine was just kind of like, you don't need like you, this is now it's just become something where you're trying to get somewhere Mm. and you're, you're already there, you know? So it's kind of this bittersweet thing, but I love, you know, when I work with clients, they'll often say a web or they'll say, I see a field. I see like a matrix thing happening. And I'm always like, yeah, that's what it is. (laughs) That's what Mm -hmm. it looks like. But things come through. It's like we can journey through tunnels There's just, and I'm sure that you know this, right? There's no time or space. Things can just come right then and there. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I just, I I love the way that you described it. I almost don't even want to tamper it. (laughs) Mm. And it's interesting what you say about the medicine rejecting you. Something one of my mentors, Michelle Sine, speaks of, she spoke about it in context of cacao because she has a cacao brand called Legacy Cacao there. I really love, it's a very very special works with this priestess in Guatemala. Michelle never planned to have a cacao brand, but then she ended up in Guatemala. The priestesses sat in ceremony with her and then pulled her aside and said, you, you are the one who meant to bring this to the Western world. And so they shared the recipe and shared the cacao and now it's a thing. And that was one of my introductions to Michelle before working with her for six months. Now my husband, Eric is working with her and it's changing everything about our lives always like ongoing, like the depth and the presence of the amount of love that we are able to let into our lives as a result is just mind blowing. But one of the things that she shared, she was a guest um, in the mastermind that I led last year. And I remember she came for the closing ceremony and she helped hold space for that with cacao. And she was explaining how once we have worked with a plant medicine consciousness, it's in our field forever. And it's Mm. kind of like a library that we can energetically access at any time. So even though I didn't like hearing that, I don't need to drink cacao ever in my life again because I love how it tastes. That's the truth. We can energetically access that library and work with that plant consciousness um, anytime. And I found that to be pretty mind-blowing. And it sounds like exactly what you're pointing to with, I'm assuming, ayahuasca. Um, No. So actually... It's funny because I am thinking about doing ayahuasca now that I'm saying like plant medicine doesn't, I've done um, psilocybin. That's what I've Mm. done. Um, I have been kind of feeling like I never wanted to do ayahuasca, but recently I feel like it's been calling me. Like I'm like hearing the sound. I'm like, ah, do I need to go do that? Um, She's very clear. She pulls her and she's like you. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll, we'll see uh, there. But you know, what's interesting is that 
I love how she described that and that like, it's always there once you connect, because to me, when I work with people, one of the things I kind of always tell them at the end, because I'm like pointing them towards this is this is all just remembering. Like the truth is, is that we've all been plugged in. We've all been connected and we know exactly how to get there, but it's the remembering that needs to happen because we forgot. We forgot the way or things got on us, whether it's beliefs or, you know, institutions or just other people, family things. We forgot how to connect and truly be there. But what's so great is that once you connect, if you keep going back, it's like building a muscle. It all of a sudden over time, if you keep practicing, if you keep connecting, it becomes an everyday experience. It's always happening right? So it really is, at the end of the day, it's about remembering and practice. If you keep practicing, the connection eventually just becomes your reality. It's very interesting. I actually said to my husband <laughs> when this whole metaverse was, was happening with um, Facebook, I said, you know, I have this weird feeling that we're in the metaverse right now. That like, we think that we're going into this. It's just another dimension of metaverse, but I think we're in a metaverse already. And what remembering does is it starts to take us out of this metaverse. It starts to allow us to remember everything. It's this, you know, this virtual reality. I think we're already in it, if that makes sense. It's so hard. And I'm sure you know that words are very limited. Um, but yeah, I sense that on such a deep level. And I feel like I don't want to go deeper onto that end. I don't want to go deeper into the virtual reality of everything. I want to keep remembering. I want to keep going back and not seeing things as separate, but being in this whole experience of what I experience now, at least. I find that Charles Eisenstein is somebody who really beautifully puts this experience of remembering that we're speaking of into words. And there's a myth. I'll find a link to this and I'll share it in the show notes. But there's a myth that he shares and the way that he's able through story and through myth put into words how, why we are on this planet and what remembering means and what the purpose mm -hmm. of it all means is just so beautiful. So I'll find that and I'll share with you and I'll share in the show yes, notes. I, I definitely think you're going like to love that. it. And when you speak of building a muscle of this remembering and practicing, how do you, what are some things that you recommend to people that you work with that do want to get closer to their intuitive abilities and have that permeate more of their lives? Yeah. So the, the main thing, I mean, I take people kind of through an eight session thing, but the gist of it is to continuously be remembering that everything is energy, including you, right? Because when we start to feel that everything is energy, that's kind of the first step. Oh yeah, I'm energy. I'm constantly exchanging with other energies, but what do I feel like? And that's the biggest thing that I think people have forgotten that they need to remember is what does my energy feel like? What does it sound like? What does it look like? How do, what do I know about it? Right? So a lot of times that's where I'll start or all the time actually, is having people pull in their, their unique energy so that they can understand what does this feel like? How does it shift? Like how does my energy shift from the morning to the evening? How does it shift from fall to winter? 
how does it shift when I'm talking to this person or when I'm doing this? And it's like all of a sudden you become an observer or um, like an inspector, right? An explorer of your energy and how you understand it. The other flip side of this is connecting and understand the earth energy because we are here. We are on this planet and everything that is going on with the earth energy is simultaneously affecting our energy. So every day I have people pull in their earth energy and pull in their energy and get to understand the relationship, get to see what am I working with today? What's the earth feeling like today? How's it going? Right? What do I feel like today? What am I working with today? So it's that whole sense of getting in there. Then I'll, one thing that's really important is grounding, which I'm sure you know, we have to stay grounded, especially when intuition is opening, when psychic abilities are opening, when we're doing a lot of spiritual things, we can get very flighty. We can get very much up here. And if we're not grounded, then we're not making a big impact here because it's all about manifestation. It's all about bringing high vibration into low vibration so that we can manifest it here, right? So getting grounded, also clearing. Clearing energy, it's like we take showers, we clean our house, (laughs) we do all these things that we know we need to do. But when it comes to our own energy, which is your thoughts, your emotions, other people's thoughts, other people's emotions, beliefs, we have to clear every day. We have to clean ourselves because we are taking those things with us into everything that we do. Like before this call, I cleared, I grounded, I brought in my energy and I connected with source energy. I do that like 10 times a day, right? I don't think that people need to go to that extreme. I mean, I do this for a living. So I have to do it if I want to be in integrity with the people sitting across from me and not bleed one client into the next. But we have to be able to clear so we can show up whole and complete and have the flow going through without any kind of bumps along the way, any blockages. Then I'll teach um, like just understanding energy exchange, energy exchange, how we, how we do it. One of the fun things I talk about is there's seven ways to exchange energy and only one of them is healthy, which is insane, right? <laughs> which and one is that? So it's called blending. You kind of have to know the other ones to understand, but I'll teach you it because let's do it. So blending is very much like this. Okay. So I have, I'm making a circle with one hand and a circle with the other hand, and then it goes over And we just have that little overlap in the center, right? This is blending. What is it called? Like an eight, like an infinity. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. See, it's all coming (laughs) together like an eight. So let me end this, what I do to my clients. So you're just getting a little thing. Why would you say that this is healthy? Because nobody's pulling anything from anybody. It's this equal exchange. Right. Can you, so if this is me, you're this circle, I'm this circle. And we, and we also go stay like this. whole as we exchange energy. Nobody breaks right. their own energy field. Right. You could still see you and you could still see me, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And there's only this exchange in the center, right? Mm-hmm. So that's healthy because I didn't leave me and you didn't leave you. We both know who we are, but we're also conscious that we're exchanging. That's healthy energy exchange. It's when you don't leave yourself. When you don't give your energy away, when you don't take other people's energy, you are whole and complete. The other person is whole and complete and you're in an exchange. So that's the healthy part. Another thing is cutting energetic cords, which all of us have. 
which always makes me laugh whenever I teach energy cords, because I always think how funny it would be if we were all walking around consciously plugging in to each other, like how ridiculous mm-hmm. that would be. Um, but yeah, cutting cords. And then it starts to open to expanding, you know, who are your guides? How do you connect with your guides? Are you communicating with them every day? Uh, how do you clear your blocks? If you have any really deep blocks, how do you manifest? And how do you do that every single day? And then we go into how do you psychically connect? How do you intuitively connect? Which I teach like an exercise for that where we get into the clairs. But the big thing, right? And this is where I started with this is remembering that everything is energy. And then from there, how you experience that energy. So it kind of starts at that basic level of you are energy, everything is energy. And then how it ends is, how are you experiencing that energy? Are you hearing it? Are you seeing it? Are you feeling it? Do you just know it? Are you sensing it? And how do you, every single time that you're coming into anything, how do you put all those abilities on? So then it's a whole sensory experience. It's Mm -hmm. not just I'm hearing this or I'm seeing this. It's a full sensory experience of how you're receiving information energetically. So it's like you're completely online, you can say. Mm -hmm. You're completely here so that you can receive from all of the different tools of intuition. That's the experience. So it's amazing how we went from the story of you entering the temple in Alandi saying, I'm not feeling any energy. What what are you talking about? To you being an intuitive psychic for a living. I would love to know at what point did this consciousness, this awakening permeate what you do for a living and how did Mm -hmm. you navigate that? So it was a long time. I will say that. Um, for the first three, four years, it was learning, right? It was learning everything I could get my hands on. And then the last three years, and this is after specifically, I started really coming out and like telling people if I heard a message for them or like seeing people that have passed and communicating those messages to people. It was when I kind of like opened the door and I started to see how it could help people that I started to go, huh? I wonder if I should be doing more with this because I feel like it's really helping people and I can feel that I feel filled up by it. Like I have this sense of every time that I do it, I receive more energy and not from like a taking standpoint, but from an equal standpoint, a blending standpoint. So around three years ago, I actually started um, a new job. I was a marketing director for a company And when I started that new job, I simultaneously started seeing clients. So I worked from home remote as a marketing director. And then I started to just open to clients. And how I did that is that on social media, one day I was like, I'm going to offer just free training. And only like three people responded, right? Because it was free. And I'm sure people were like, what? And I trained those three people. But what I did, right, is that I was learning how I was training and what I was doing during that time. And that's why I was offering it for free. And then from those three people, they would recommend my training or my readings to other people. And then it started to build to the point where like a year after I started this, I would have maybe like two clients a day while I'm doing my marketing director job. So I very much just started building this business right alongside this other job that I was working. And I always had this agreement with myself. And this is just an integrity piece for me of like, 
neither job ever suffered, right? It wasn't like when I had clients, I wasn't showing up at my other job. Like I was a hundred percent with both. And it took me a while to get to the point where I felt like, oh, maybe, maybe I could leave this marketing director job and just do this job, right? So for three years, up until July, this past July, I was working, doing two things while having two kids, you know, which is like wild and all the other things. But because I loved it so much and because I, I did like my marketing director job. I mean, I worked with like some of my best friends doing it and it was fun. I decided in July, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to jump, just going to jump. And like on Sunday night, I decided I was going to jump Monday morning. I put in my two weeks. And what's crazy is that the biggest reason why I was so scared to leave my marketing job was obviously money. It's like the biggest, my fear, right? I wasn't going to have enough money. A month to the day after I left my marketing job, that night I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's been a month since I left. And I realized, oh wow, I'm just a little bit away from what I would have made doing marketing. Mm -hmm. And as I thought that, I looked at my email and another client had signed up. And the month after I left my job, I made more money than I would have made as a marketing director. And that was the moment where I was like, I get this now. Like, I get that I can just go all in. I can do this. Um, But yeah, it, it took a while to trust myself, obviously, to get to the point. But once I started building and also social media, I mean... I feel like this past year, the training that you gave me with conscious social media has totally just clicked. You know how sometimes things take time to click? I feel like this year I'm like, oh my gosh, I get it now. Like I get it. You know, I understand what it means to really be in the flow, even virtually. Right. So that's really allowed me also to get in front of more people to be able to connect and share my gifts and, you know be able to help people emerge their own gifts out of it as well. I love hearing that about social media. And I have something else I want to share there to reflect of how we come full circle. But how does intuition, how does this ability play a role in how you make business decisions? How do you hear things? Do you get directions? Mm -hmm. Do you sit down and journal on it? How, How does it apply to your business? Yeah. So one example that I can give you right off the bat is probably in April or May of this year, I was talking to our mutual friend, Deanne. And I told her this thing. I was like, oh my gosh, D, when I was meditating this morning, this crazy thing happened. I could hear the birds outside my window and they were chirping at the same rhythm as my heartbeat. And she was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. That's so cool. And I'm like, isn't that so cool? And then I decided after I talked to her, I was like, you know what? Like, that's cool to me. I'm going to share that on social media. So I like made a video saying that, right? Same thing that I said to her. And that video went viral. And I remember seeing that and going, oh my God, people care about this because this is literally all I want to talk about. Like, all (laughs) I want to talk about is the fact that like a bird was chirping at the same rhythm of my heartbeat. So it was this moment where I was like, oh, well, I can talk about this kind of stuff. I love this stuff. So I started to share more from that point. But what I did also is I decided, okay, every morning during my meditation, as I always do, I'm going to connect, drop in with source. And I'm just going to ask, what should I share today? And every single time they would just give me either they would give me the direction right then and there, or they would say it's going to come. 
And every single time it was like, boom, boom, boom. And then that's how my channel grew, which wasn't, you know, like I was, I, I still am just having fun. Um, but yeah, making those decisions, always checking in with source, always kind of leading by example, right? Like this is what I teach people to do. So I do it through my own business as well. So I'll always check in, especially if it's like working with certain people, even that come to me, I'll check in. How does this energy feel? Does this feel like an energetic match? Or sometimes I'll just download whole workshops or download writing. Like right now I'm writing um, a book about psychic abilities and I had to write like 15 pages because I had to write a chapter. And I would just sit down, connect with source and just ask it to flow. <coughs> Sorry. Ooh. I would just ask it to flow through me. So that's been a big thing. And then what I, what I will say is the strongest thing by far that I think I do for my business when it comes to using my intuition is that I connect with my heart and I ask that everything that flows through me is love. And what's been so extraordinary about that is that on my Instagram, more often than not, I mean, I have received hundreds of DMs from people that say, I don't know what it is about you compared to other teachers, but when you speak to me, I feel like I can feel your heart. And I have received hundreds of messages like that. And every time that I see it, I'm like, this is the most beautiful thing ever. Because what those people don't know is literally right before I drop down to do a video, all I am doing is centering and igniting love in my heart. So to me, and I tell my clients this as well, like love is the most powerful force. There is no force stronger. Anytime that you feel scared, anytime that you have doubt, that you have fear, if you ignite the energy of love, it can break through any barrier. It can hold the space for you. It can hold you. It can bring you back to you. It's the most beautiful energy, the most powerful energy in this whole world. So I always bring people back to that. Come back to the most simplest thing that's kind of under your nose that you forgot about. And it's just love. So that's what I would say. That's my biggest piece for my business for sure. And, and in life, obviously. Yeah. So if somebody were to ask you, Anna, so how did you go viral on Instagram? You'd say love. Simple as yeah. that. Yeah. I do tell people that people have reached out and I tell them, you know, it's it's been really from just speaking about the things that I honestly care about. That was a big thing. Two, igniting in love, feeling guided. And three, which I say a lot, before um, I even went viral, I realized something one day because I was thinking about relationships and I thought about the relationship with things outside of people. And I thought about Instagram and I realized that Instagram's love language is just consistency. That's all it wants. It's love language is just consistency. And I have been and was then in a state of, I want to show up speaking the love language to people, to things that they need. And when I made that decision, when I said, well, okay, Instagram's love language is consistency. Well, then I'm going to show up and I'm going to speak their love language. And I've been consistent. And just that consistency alone has just been, you know, it's, it's, 
some people call it playing the game. Like, I just think it's more of I'm in relationship, you know? Yeah, so much comes up (laughs) as you share that. And what I'm present to is, first of all, it's fascinating to hear how you took the conscious social media program. The way that I see it, it's like there's a rewiring that occurs when people take it and it doesn't immediately always manifest sometimes because people don't are not ready to take action sometimes because people think they want to grow and be seen but they're actually not energetically at the capacity to be seen and so the wiring is all there and when you have done the other inner work it kind of clicks in and that's what happened in your case and i remember during some of our one-on-one sessions i kept feeling so strongly that you kept thinking that it's your motherhood account that needed to be the one you give energy to, the one that you grow. But I kept seeing that it's your name. It's like you you is the one that needs the energy, the one that's going to blow up. And at the time it was like hovering, I think right under 5,000, not really moving forward. And now you were at like past 60,000 with yeah. this consistency and sharing from that place of love. But um, it's interesting how sometimes brain interference of what we think people want hijacks how we show up when in reality that frequency of love and sharing from that place is the most potent thing that we can possibly do on social media and yes there's strategy that we can add on top like you did with consistency and posting on reels which is instagram's favorite format right now right but that when that love when that foundation of where is this coming from and why am i sharing this when that's not there i feel like it doesn't really matter. Even if it goes viral, it's going to have, unfortunately, this effect of leaving everybody who comes in touch with that piece of content a little bit empty, a little bit robbed of energy when that love is not there. So I just want to celebrate you for choosing to be seen that way, choosing to show up, showing up consistently and courageously sharing like all the different codes and intricacies of, of how it works in your experience. Yeah, I love what you said too about um well first thank you. Thank you because I am I feel very grateful. I feel grateful for that training that you did and also just to have integrated it and really gotten to the flow with it. Uh and I love what you said about the idea of how I felt that you know it ne- I needed to put my energy behind motherhood. And what's interesting is since then I've started to look at energy in a different way in terms of realizing, right? And I was kind of describing this before that everyone has their own energy, right? But what so so much so often we don't realize is that our energy, if we entangle it with other things like other identities, like motherhood, right? Like I can be a mother, but I don't need to put all my energy down that role. I could just be Anna embody love. And that's a pretty great mom, you know? But what's interesting is that when you look at it energetically, and I'm sure you've heard this word like entangled kind of in the energy space, when you look at it and you look at people, you can kind of see energetically that they they have all these things entangled around them, all these ideas of what they think they should be putting their energy around. It could be other people, it could be whatever, but it's entangled. But when you can untangle, like loosen the knot, get rid of all the extra strings that aren't them, you just see this fully formed, flowing, energetic string that is just them. And I feel like 
it's so interesting to think about this in terms of social media, right? Because usually I would be like, I don't know, thinking like, why are we talking about social media? But on here, obviously it's cool because we both get it um, and your listeners get it. But even on social media, when I think about it, like stepping into just me, like not in the confines of motherhood, not in the confines of even intuition or energy. It's like, I'm just showing who I am. Obviously that's what I do, but it's a part of that one string, that one thing that is me. So I love what you were like, if I just think that's such a great antidote of understanding, like release the strings, untangle, you know, and see just that clear channel that you are just as you are, Mm. just as you are. It's so beautiful. Mm. You know, uh, one of the things that Harshita, our teacher, talks about is like this backpack of identities. And I believe Ram Das talks about it as well. And there's mm-hmm. this meditation he's guided me through um, where you put on a backpack and there's all these identities, sister, daughter, wife, student, like just load them all up and then just feel how heavy that backpack of identities is. Mm-hmm. And then there's this cathartic moment where you release it and you feel, whoa, whoa, I am all that. And it's such a, such a liberation. Yeah. So thank you for bringing us into that. And yesterday I was making a guac and, you know, sometimes you open uh, avocado and it's the most perfect and beautiful. And I feel on top of the world and I'm like, what is this life? This is amazing. (laughs) Yesterday was not that day. I opened up an avocado. It looked kind of fine, but the color was a little bit off. I decided to make guac with it anyway. I thought, you know, anything that's a little bit off can be concealed with guacness. And after I mashed it and I started eating it, there was these strings. There's like these thick strings that were so kind of gross in your mouth. And I had to go like one by one and pick them out. And oh. that's why you shared. That's what it makes me think of. They're just like so icky and so unnecessary. Yeah. So I accept your challenge. Over. <laughs> they yes. are. Yeah. And yet we yeah. have the capacity to take them out. We just have to notice them. Exactly. Exactly. It's all about awareness. It's all about just seeing, oh, look at that string, right? And it doesn't have to be this thing of like, we don't have to go into this huge story. Like, why is the string there? Give it all this meaning. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, there's a string. I should probably take that off. Mm -hmm. Let me just put that over here, you know? Mm -hmm. And the more that you do that, it actually reminded me when you were speaking, I've been doing this with my husband lately, even because I've been noticing that when I see him, he's been kind of in this state of feeling like his shoulders are like hunched forward. He's like in this space of constantly needing love. Like he's not filled with his own love, right? And it got to a point where I actually had to sit down with him and I was like, listen, I can't be a source of love for you anymore. Like I love you and I'm here to love you, but I cannot be your fuel you need to be filled up with your own love and you need to work on that. Like every day filling up with your own love and I am here, I am love and I am here to love you and be with you, but I can no longer be this thing that you just take from, you know? And that was, to me, it was a string. Like it was a thing where I could see for so long, right? We've been together for 14 years for so long I was entangled in this string of like, I need to be the source for him. And it was exhausting, right? Like over time, I can't, you can't be the person that's constantly filling someone up. They need to eventually learn how to fill themselves up. (coughs) 
So I shared with him and, you know, gratefully he's in a place to be able to understand what I was trying to say. But I think it happens even to the closest things to us and maybe more often so, right? The people that are closest to us we're entangled with. And if we could just get to a space where we can understand, well, I understand when I am like whole and complete. And I know and I can sense when people aren't whole and complete or when they are. And when they're not, can I bring the truth forward? Can I have those conversations where it's like, I feel this from you and I want you to be in your integrity. I want you to be filled with love. Can we work together to get to that space, right? I think it's just, it's so funny, right? How we're so entangled in all different shapes and sizes. Yes. The question that I'm also called to ask you is for anybody who's a mother listening to this and feels like in this place of perhaps not being sure who, who am I? What is my identity? What do I do with my life? And it feels perhaps like all the years of personal development work and finding yourself are erased in an instant. What would you, what would you say to them? I would say to them what I did because that's my experience. And what I did is when I felt like I was shattered, when I felt like I didn't know who I was anymore, when all the bricks flew off, I knew that I needed to every single day do something that got me into a different state of being. And for me at the time, because this was seven years ago now, at the time I would put on YouTube and just search Tony Robbins and just have his videos playing in the background. Like as I'm working, as I have my daughter just playing in the background, I mean, for months. And sometimes other videos would come up, other motivational speakers. I would be reading books, um, trying to find, but any time that I kind of felt like I was so down and I needed to be lifted up, I would always do that. So that was one thing that I kind of did in the confines of my home. The other thing that I did was I would start to talk to other mothers and really share my experience. And I was fortunate enough to work for a meditation app, Expectful, and that was all about pregnancy and motherhood. So I had the ability to not only work with moms that were in situations like that, but I would be interviewing them for my podcast or like onboarding them for the meditation app. And I would slowly but surely see that all of us were having very similar experiences. It was very rare. And I mean, like I can count on one hand, the amount of times that I would speak to a mom and she would tell me I gave birth and it was euphoric and I am riding a high. And I would, I remember these moments because I was looking at these people like they were unicorns. Like I was like, how, how, you know? Um, But I think more often than not, when you speak to people, what you'll find is that we're all having moments of shattered identity because guess what? That's what just happened. When you give birth, you go through a portal. It doesn't matter if you gave birth vaginally, if it's C-section, if it's adoption. When you step into a different state, you go through a portal. And all the things that matter to you before that moment shatter. And you step into a whole new way of being. It is true. That's what I would say. It is true. So understanding and starting there that, oh, this is an experience that is happening. And I would say I've heard people argue this 
And I would probably argue it as well that it's a necessary step because it allows you to then move into the space of showing up as someone who is constantly in union and in exchange with another being 24 seven. And how do you show up in exchange with another human being? If you're still attached to this person that you were, because before you had a child, you could do anything, right? You weren't in constant exchange with another being. You had partners, you had friends, but there was always a moment where you could step away. With children, that doesn't happen. So you have to learn this new way of being, this new identity. Um, so I would say definitely, you know, talking to other parents and then whatever, right? It doesn't have to be Tony Robbins, but anything that that lights you up, anything that you feel called towards, that your energy that you feel in alignment with, move towards that so it can uplift you. And then at the end of the day, be really gentle with yourself mm -hmm. because this is an experience, right? Like this is part of the journey and it can be really challenging at some times. And then there's beautiful times. Um, but something I've definitely learned from interviewing women, I'm even working with a mom right now, I'm training and she just dropped off her son at college and she's in Portland. And I had a session with her, I think it was yesterday. And I was like crying my eyes out when I was on the session because she said, well, you know, me and my ex-husband, we did a little ritual in his college dorm to kind of like, you know, mark this moment, which I thought was so beautiful. They did a ritual, right? Like a fire ceremony. And to mark this moment of like him moving into college, it's going to make me cry even thinking about this right now. She said, and then I drove back and I realized that my, like this role is complete. Like mm. this job is done and I have to step into this whole other job. And she was like, and I've just been going through mornings. She's like, you know, I went into a bookstore and I'm looking at a book of all the natural parks. And she had went to the natural parks with her husband or with her son. That's one of the things that they did throughout his childhood. And she's like, I'm just standing in this bookstore looking at this book and I'm hysterically crying. She's like, I probably look like a crazy person. Why is this woman crying just looking at the national parks? But that's what it's like this whole new phase for her. Right. And the reason why I got so emotional when I was talking to her is because, you know, my daughter's seven, my son's three. And time just changes when you have children. Like I am so aware that seven years is nothing. And that in seven years, she'll be 14. And I got about 10 years. And if she's seven now, and it feels like it's been nothing, well, 10 years is going to feel like nothing. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be in that stage where the job is done. So it's also having that perspective of like, life shifts. And it's going to go by really quick. And it doesn't mean that you have to enjoy the moment because I used to hate when people would say that to me. Well, just, you know, enjoy it. You got a little baby. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm having a hard time over here. Um, but it's more so just having the perspective, like being gentle with yourself, but also just being able to see the long picture here is a really helpful tool as well. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much for this gift. I will be yeah. listening to it when it's my time to enter this portal. Yeah, So powerful. And before we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share. You know, I'm reading this book right now. So this is at the top of my mind and it's all about integrity. And 
it starts off by the definition of integrity saying like the, the Latin word, the root word is integer, which means intact, which means that you're whole and complete when you're in your integrity. And what I love about this idea is that when we flow away from our integrity, when we flow away from anything that is whole and complete, we flow away from ourselves, right? So if we can look at it from this space, look at our life from this space of, I'm going to stay in integrity, I'm going to stay in this whole and completeness of me, and notice when anything is kind of taking me off, whether it's using your intuition to know if you're getting off course or whatever it is, just to always come back to that space of whole and complete. That's been like a message that's been ringing through me with this book. And that's what I would share because it's, uh, I hope it, it gives something to someone out there. <laughs> it brings me back to that way of exchanging <laughs> energies you spoke about. Like that's all I can think about. Yeah. Is it Martha Beck's book? It is. Oh, it's a great right book. On. So did yeah, you read it? Yeah, I did. I loved oh. it. Oh, good. I'm so that's excited actually, to get it's with, into it. Within this book, um, or maybe after I read this book, I was revisiting another Martha Beck's book. I don't remember, but I was listening to it on audio driving in the Catskills back when we lived in New York. And it's during listening to Martha Beck that I got the Web8 download. So Stop. another full oh circle. Oh my gosh, it's yes. all connected. Yes. Any room with this? That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so funny that this looks like the, the like I didn't even pick up on that. That's wild. It does. Wow. Yeah. If you have another minute, I have a crazy thing to tell you about one of the things that came through our session. Follow up yes. on that. Yes. Oh, please. Yeah. So we had a session about a week ago and you, one of the first things that you said was I'm seeing tension in left wrist. And I had woken up that morning with tension in my left wrist, which was super unusual. doesn't happen to me. I hadn't told a soul. And that's what you brought in. And I was like, okay, okay, buckle up. This is, this is spot on. And then one of the other things you mentioned, you said that I'm seeing that your grandmother is craving partnership and companionship. And that's very important for her. And you said, I'm seeing her petting an orange cat. Does she have a cat? And so this is what unfolded. <laughs> I know that my grandmother doesn't have a cat. I cannot imagine her having an animal. She hasn't had one in decades. And I'm thinking about messaging her and telling her that I had a session with an intuitive psychic. And she said that maybe it would be good for you to get a cat. And I'm like, how direct am I to not sound too crazy? And I just said it as it is. I said, you know, a psychic told me that she sees you petting an orange cat. Do you know what I'm talking about? And she goes, one of my best friends who lives in the same house as me, like a few doors away, has an orange cat. This is like literally her only close friend in the same building. And the, she has an orange cat. <laughs> it was such a trippy moment. I loved it. That is so cool. I love that stuff. Oh my gosh. And does she pet the cat? Does she hang out? I mean, with it? you saw her petting it, so she must. Good. Um, yeah. Yeah. That I was just so mind blown. It's like, you know, some of the messages you shared, like this one was not so much you need to go out and get your own cat, but it was an affirmation of something that either her or I are already doing of like, keep going, keep going. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And even what I love about that story too is that you said, her friend has the cat because mm -hmm. very much was the message of like, she needs more to feel more connected, to feel like companionship in that way. 
So what's beautiful is it's that it's not her cat, but it's also her friend, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like the cat end that she has that connection with another human that she can talk to. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So cool. Anna, thank you so much for sharing your story, for doing what you do and um, permeating Instagram with love. Thank you for doing that work too. Thank you. Thank you. This was Anna Gannon. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that this awakens you to the courage that you already have within you to follow through on your own intuition, in your own life, in your own unique ways. May you have the courage and trust to listen and most importantly, to trust and follow through. Until next week.